stay on track when life is tearing you apart. I'm just waiting for a slide to come up. And what we would like to do is to share with you some of our story, and Rosie will sketch in the, in the background. There we go. Rosie will sketch in the, the give you some of the details. Um, and we just pray that as we think about this whole area of loss, that, and what happens when life turns on its head, that God will speak to us. Um, we're here to hear from him, aren't we? And to begin with, just listen to a poem. Laugh, and the world laughs with you. Weep, and you weep alone. For the sad old earth must borrow its mirth, but has trouble enough of its own. Sing, and the hills will answer. Sigh, it is lost on the air. The echoes bound to a joyful sound, but shrink from voicing care. Rejoice, and men will seek you. Grieve, and they turn and go. They want full measure of all your pleasure, but they do not need your woe. Be glad, and your friends are many. Be sad, and you lose them all. There are none to decline your nectared wine, but alone you must drink life's gall. Feast, and your halls are crowded. Fast, and the world goes by. Succeed and give, and it helps you live. But no man can help you die. There is room in the halls of pleasure for a large and lordly train. But one by one, we must all file on through the narrow aisles of pain. to tell you a little about our story. Our daughter Esther was studying prosthetics and orthotics at Strathclyde University in Glasgow. She came home for Christmas in 2007, which was uh, during her third year, and within days it was clear that she was very unwell. She was admitted to hospital in Eastbourne as an emergency on Christmas Eve. To our astonishment, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which sadly turned out to be difficult to stabilise. The next two years proved to be by far the most difficult for our family. These were dark times. Her health was unpredictable, the future of her course was in doubt, and she was going to be homeless. Anxiety was my constant companion, and with good reason. However, Esther had a vibrant Christian faith and she experienced some amazing answers to prayer. God provided her with accommodation in Glasgow and with one of her closest friends from Eastbourne who'd come up to Glasgow to do a PhD. He also provided her with a job in a nursing home and she absolutely loved that job. She returned to her course at the start of 2009 and we thought the our future was beginning to look brighter. What none of us expected was that six weeks later, Esther would go into a coma in her sleep, 
and two days afterwards will pass away without regaining consciousness. We never even knew whether she heard us say goodbye. As Christians, we are confident that she is now experiencing perfect health in God's presence. However, her loss has left us with huge pain and just so many unanswered questions. We began a journey of loss on a road we never expected to travel. Slowly, and it did take a long time, we came to realize that casting our pain on him included casting our confusion on God. Excuse me. Ken Ben spoke at Esther's Thanksgiving service, and he used Isaiah's words, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. By his grace, God is still helping us live with this mystery. Sometimes, God's care for us is shown by him not revealing why. He is God, and we are not. And he knows that there are times when it is to our benefit that we live with mystery. Mm. And Ian's going to refer to this um, a bit later on. Great. Um, Forgive me for just intruding here, but guys, the clicker is not working. Can we swap it over, please, for another one? Just um, say hello to somebody sitting near you for a moment, will you? (laughs) Pop that in the side. Oops. Okay, is PowerPoint active? That's it. We're on. Thank you. We're on track. Brilliant. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, When we think of loss, we sometimes mistakenly think that it only affects our past. To be sure, we have lost our daughter, and that will always be with us. Losses are not that simple, and every loss is different. And losses affect our future as well as our past. And they come in different tiers, different levels, as it were, of loss. And we realized that as we discover how to handle the smaller losses of life, we build an emotional and a spiritual toolkit ready for when the major traumas come down the track. And I wish I could say it was a nice, easy process that we walked triumphantly through, but it wasn't. And what we want to try and do today is just to share with you our tears of loss, tears in the sense of layers as well as in the sense of weeping, and and also to see how God helped us through and still is is doing that. You see, some of our losses are entirely casual. Uh, a few, de- few days ago, for example, I went into a coffee shop and I usually carry this mug with me. It's one of those reusable, refillable Starbucks mugs. Hey, don't use one of them in costas. You get teased. Um, and I took it into a shop. And at least I thought I'd got it on me when I walked into the shop, but I hadn't. So I missed my 25p discount. 
Oh. <laughs> but it's a casual loss. And recovery from a casual loss usually takes a few minutes, and we do it without any effort. But there are d- deeper losses. Rosie, come and tell us about some minor losses. Right, so the next level is really minor losses. And these are events we choose not to ignore, like the, the casual loss of the missed discount. When I start something, I like to complete it. And uh, in the <coughs> autumn, I was um, running with others uh, uh, an alpha course for ladies on a Wednesday morning, and it was going really well. Um, unfortunately, our plans had to change, um, and I had to suddenly go off to Cheltenham, where our son and his wife live, because Chris was taken ill and was in hospital and we needed to support the family, and it was absolutely the right thing for me to do. But for me, it was exciting to see people grow in, the, in their faith, and I really enjoyed being part of Alpha. So I felt I missed out. Um, the effect of minor losses of this order is usually just frustration. It's, it's kind of like it was a bit of a block goal. I, I'd wanted to start it and finish it, Um, Actually, others took it on and and did wonderfully well. (laughs) Um, But my reaction to the minor loss was just being a bit disappointed that I couldn't be in two places at the same time. (laughs) But recovery from these setbacks is usually accomplished within a couple of days and a good night's sleep. And then I thought, well, these things happen and um, you just have to get on with it. So minor losses are a little bit deeper, but not that difficult. Significant losses are those that affect us a bit more, and they take longer to discover recovery. Significant losses are the sort of thing that happens to us when a prospect that I would reasonably have expected doesn't come about. It's significant when prospects I would otherwise hope to enjoy are taken away from me. And the more important that prospect is to my sense of who I am, the more intensely I feel it. And the important factor about significant losses is that the thing or the prospect that I've lost may never be recovered. It's permanent, and it causes me to look at life a little differently. Maybe I've been passed over for promotion in my workplace. Or maybe I never got the job I really wanted. Because someone else is now doing it. Significant losses have a perpetual quality to them, which means that I won't usually recover from them just by having that thing restored to me again. I need to do some reworking of who I am, and that may take weeks or even longer to to get over. Rosie, come and tell us about intense losses. Losses are often made more intense if they involve... (coughs) deeply personal relationships. Um, We moved here for him to become the minister of the church here in 1992, and my father was unwell at the time, Um, but he died about six months later, and this was an intense loss for me. Um, I felt a longing to see him again, and crying in private moments actually went on for quite a long time. At the same time, because he'd been unwell for so long, I was relieved that he was now free from his suffering. 
So there was a sort of paradox that I felt um, that I could feel both pain and relief at the same time. Sorry. That would help. Um, talking of, of intense losses, major financial losses come into this category. So too does retirement for some people. Um, well, most of you, I expect, know that I retired from the ministry in Eastbourne about two years ago, and we moved here. And guys, you've been fantastic to us. But listen, retirement isn't easy. And being content with what you've got is something I really had to struggle with. In fact, I, I even made it my Wi-Fi password in the house, so that every time I log into my Wi-Fi, I have to type in, you know, content with what I have. Um, that isn't the password, by the way. It's a bit... <laughs> It's, it's a bit cleverer than that. <laughs> Jesus experienced uh, an intense loss when he lost a close friend. His name was Lazarus. And he felt that so deeply that it gives rise to the shortest verse in the Bible that bluntly says, Jesus wept. Even though the account in John's Gospel hints that Jesus knew what was going to happen, Losing Lazarus still hit him very hard. And when we look even deeper than intense losses, we get to crucial losses. Crucial losses are the most acute that life can throw at us. And, it, and these take the longest time for recovery in the order of years, if we truly recover at all. And when I experience a, a crucial loss, my whole being is, is consumed by the thought of it. Particularly in the early stages, it dominates my thinking day and night so that everything in life is interpreted through that one lens. And that's what losing Esther felt like. For me, it not my concentration for six, and neither of us were able to work effectively for quite some time. With crucial losses, then, we think less in terms of recovery and much more in terms of living a different life. It may take years to return to, quote, normality, uh, but even when we do, it's a different normal. In the Bible, Job lost his wife, his, all his children, his business, his health, and his friends. But God never left him. And interestingly, there are, there are many archaeologists who think that the book of Job probably predates Genesis, so it would have been the first one to have been written in the Bible. And how interesting that the very first book of the Bible to be put onto paper, or papyrus, or whatever it was, um, is a book about loss and about recovery and about how God is with us, even when life is being, our lives are being torn apart. And his story, Job's story, and others in the Bible, they just assure me that with God's help, even in crucial losses, we can end up stronger and deeper people, but we end up different people. And the principle that we try to live with is this. that As we discover how to handle the smaller losses of life, we build an emotional and a spiritual toolkit ready for when the major traumas come down the track. Some of you have experienced much more trauma than we have. 
And every loss is different. Uh, one of the phrases that Rosie and I use so often when we think about this is we want to pray that by God's grace we will end up better people and not bitter people. So losses come at different levels, in different ways, and they take different amounts of time to recover. And as Christians, we can't always walk triumphantly through everything. I think sometimes when people tell their stories, we too quickly want to get to the happy ending without realizing what God can do along the way. Well, I'd like to um, play you a piece of music in a moment and talk in particular for a, for a while about grieving and about losing someone close to you. Um, four notes. They sound like this. From which follows... I'm, I'm a real lover of orchestral music, all sorts of orchestral music. Aren't some of the film scores that are being produced these days fantastic? Um, and uh, I'll pay serious money to go to hear a symphony performed in a concert. Those four notes are the first four notes of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And quite honestly, any GCSE music student could have written those four notes, but only Beethoven could turn them into a symphony, and that's what made him a genius. So what, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to play just the first 90 seconds of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And what, what I'd like you to do is to count how many times you hear da-da-da-da, all right? Or da-da-da-da, or da-da-da-da, or something like that. Are you up for this? Okay, here we go. Okay, how many have we got? <laughs> Anyone got more than 12? Yeah, yeah. Anyone got more than 20? Yeah, anyone counted more than 30? Lost count. I expect quite a few of us lost count. I'll, I'll, let, I'll put you out of your misery. There were 65. 
I mean, okay, I had the benefit of looking at the score and counting them, but there were, <laughs> there were actually 65. Now, now, the point is this. Sometimes that theme is played by the entire string section with the brass as well, and it's right in your face. It's bold and it's brash and it's strident and you can't possibly miss it. On other occasions, it's played by a part of the orchestra that's much, much less visible or less audible. And so we don't kind of notice it. And that's, that's rather like grieving. It's similar to that symphony in which common themes occur. And sometimes these themes are at top volume in our lives and we can't avoid them. Other times they're so subtle we barely notice them until we look back. And we've come to recognise that grieving is less a sequence of steps and much more a collection of recurring themes. And one of them is the insulating theme, or the insulation theme. Often our first reaction to, to hearing about serious illness or the death of someone we love is to insulate ourselves from it. It's not to believe it. No, that can't be true. We insulate ourselves from the news because if we didn't, it would just be too overwhelming. We put the news in a mental box of another thing to cope with today. I remember sitting in the ITU next to Esther as she passed away. And there was a monitor what, monitoring her breathing and, uh, and her heart. And we watched her take her last breath. And I said to the nurse, I think it's all over. And she said, no, 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 her heart is still beating. And it was very slowly. And we watched that trace descend to a continuous line. There was no high-pitched bleep like you see in the movies. There was no crash team barging in to revive her. There was just a family watching someone they loved slip out of this life and into the next. And yet, I kind of thought this must be happening to somebody else. This is like a movie. It's as if I'm watching it. I was observing somebody else's life and experiencing my own. And when we, ex when we have deep trauma like that, often our first reaction is to insulate ourselves from it. It didn't happen, or it feels like it's somebody else. As the masking effect of our disbelief subsides, very often the strong emotions that we've buried beneath begin to find an outlet. And often that outlet shows itself in frustration or anger. This is the rage theme. It may be anger at inanimate objects or people in authority. We went to, went to see a, fu a funeral director, an undertaker in Glasgow, I think a, a, the next day, the following day after Esther had passed away. And this lady sat us on a, a, an uncomfortable sofa and sat at a desk much higher than we were, um, sort of right in your face. And she had the pastoral care of a mallet. And I was getting more and more frustrated with it, and Rosie could see this, and she was, she was kind of going, Ian, calm down, calm down, calm down. But listen, I got within a whisker of hitting her. And later I thought, Ian, why were you so angry with that woman? She was just doing her job. Not very well, but she was just doing it. 
Sometimes we feel angry as we come to terms with a loss. And the one person who gets more anger than any other is God himself. Was I angry with God? You bet I was angry with God. And I still have a whinge at him from time to time. But I do believe that God, who knows how we're made, can take it. He doesn't look at me and say, Ian, you shouldn't be angry about Esther's death. He's big enough to take our fists. In one of the Psalms, David says, He made us and he remembers that we are dust. Along with the rage theme often goes the bargaining theme. A normal reaction to feeling helpless is the need to try and regain control by bargaining. I want to do something or give something in the hope that I will gain something in return. You know, if only we'd sought medical attention sooner, or if only we'd tried to be better parents, those were thoughts we both had. And we're trying to bargain and take up bargaining positions. And in the early weeks, I found myself going over and over and over the events of the week before she died. If only she'd seen different medics. If only we'd done something different. And that bargaining is often characterized by the if-only questions. I referred earlier on to Jesus losing his dear friend Lazarus. Now, Lazarus lived with Mary and Martha. And when Jesus got to the place... Martha said this, Lord, she said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the bargaining there? And if the bargaining theme is one, then the depressive theme is, is another. As we come to realise that the past can never be changed, we will never see our daughter again, at least not in this life. We experience a depressive theme, a deep sadness. Technically, we call it anhedonia, a lack of joy. And this is very intense vocabulary. We ought not to think of Jesus sailing serenely through the events of his life. You see, here in John chapter 11 is Jesus at rock bottom, and it gives rise to him weeping. A Catholic writer talks about the gift of tears. And surely if it was okay for him, it's okay for us. We are raised in a society that sees tears as a sign of weakness, among, particularly among men. But tears are often a gift from God. And sadly, they're too often seen as unnatural. And we, well, I, I found sometimes, uh, people wanted to fix me when I was crying. You shouldn't be crying, you should be rejoicing, was, some of what was the message I got sometimes. But even if that wasn't the message, it was, it was the expectation that tears were not what we should experience. Actually, God gave us the capacity to weep. And when we grieve, we can't easily snap out of joylessness. And it might sometimes need outside help, like a pastor or a psychologist. Because it's the way that God made us, and Jesus experienced it himself. Even long-standing mature Christians can feel that God is distant. This is C.S. Lewis. 
after he lost his wife. He wrote this. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, you are, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting from the inside. And after that, silence. But that isn't the end of the story. And C.S. Lewis goes on to explain how he found uh, how he found God again. And that brings us to another theme, which is the turning theme. For as life, as life begins to get back to normal, our emotions can make an upward turn, and we gradually begin to feel anticipation about the future. When, when we lost Esther, it took a very long time before I could lead worship again, because music touched my heart so much, and I wanted it to touch other people's, and I just couldn't do it. It was too heart-wrenching for me. And gradually the things that we once enjoyed before losing her just began to give us joy once again. And the difference between the depressive theme and the turning theme is the presence of hope and anticipation. In Psalm 22, David is obviously finding life very difficult and feels that God has abandoned him. And he starts with this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not listening to my crying? And he goes on very eloquently to describe what it's like to be in that state. But later on, he says this, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. But notice, it's in the future tense. He might not be there yet. One day, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. Now, at the point where he wrote this, he was not yet praising God, but he was anticipating the day when praise would once again be on his lips. The turning theme is marked by hope. And then there's the acceptance theme. This is the theme that gives us confidence to face the future without pain. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, was once asked if she got over the loss of her husband, King George VI. And she's supposed to have replied with these words. One doesn't get over it, but one does get used to it. And I think there is some depth in that sentence. At one of my lowest moments, I remember wrestling with God while walking up a steep hill in Eastbourne. Tears were streaming down my face as I cried out to the Lord. And I said to him, God, for pity's sake, will you get us to a place where we don't look back on Esther's life with all this pain? I just can't take much more. It was a prayer from the heart that occasionally I still echo, but much less often than I did at the time. So for now, we look back on her death with, with tears, but not with torment, with aches, but not with agony. 
I think more now with gratitude than with grief. And by sharing our story, we pray that her life will minister to to you and to others. And we feel that this change is part of God's goodness to us. I I think you can probably tell there's a lot more we could share, but I'm, I'm not going to say any more this morning, other than two things. Firstly, if you'd like to read our story, we've written a book. It's called The Road Not Chosen. I'm afraid the print run is completely sold out, uh, but it's still available as an ebook. You can buy it on Amazon if you want to get it on your Kindle. You can also buy it from our website for a Kindle, if you don't mind loading it on yourself, from whites.me.uk, and it's cheaper there. Um, so if you'd like to hear a bit more of the story, then you can, you can download that. And if, you, if, you, um, if you're having trouble downloading it, let me know, and we'll sort you out. So finally... What's it like to live with a mystery? We often ask, why did all this happen? And the truthful answer is, I don't know. Her life and her death have changed us forever. And when I take a funeral, I often use these words when I lead the family in prayer. Lord, should there be any feelings of regret... Regret that we've failed to do something. Grant us your forgiveness. Grant healing where there is hurt. Grant trust where there is doubt. Grant hope where there is sadness. And of all the words that I use at funerals, I find these to be some of the most compelling. They are medicine that we had to learn to take for ourselves. They bring release and hope to all who wrestle with the loss of losing someone they love. We've also learned to be a bit gentler on ourselves. Esther's loss taught us that we can't ride victoriously through through everything in life and remain untouched by it. And the way we handle loss moulds us into people who were different from the ones we were before it happened. We've also found ourselves working towards, as best we can, being better people rather than bitter people. Facing pain instead of shrinking from it. And that's caused us to trust God in a new way. The way of of faith, of following Jesus Christ and modelling my life on him as best I can doesn't have a full understanding of God's plan for us. We like to think that we can solve every problem or overcome every hurdle, but at the end of the day, that's nothing more than pride. Far better to live in such a way as to maximise gratitude and minimise regret. And I still carry a niggling anxiety that that I might forget Esther. You see, somebody, bless him, I won't, came to see me um, soon after Esther passed away and to talk about something else as I was working as a pastor. And he said, Oh, you must be over all that by now. Um, I didn't hit him, but I knew where he was hurting. 
Um, I could have really hurt him if I wanted to. <laughs> no, no. What will be the consequences of getting over it? Of finding closure? Surely, yes, his life will just be a done deal. It will be a thing in the past. And I don't want that. And I fear that the memory of her cheerful voice and her quirky humour and her chaotic living space will fade so far into the distance that she will no longer be part of me. We're discovering how liberating it is to live each day without unfinished business because endings can arrive so unexpectedly. Esther's death will remain a mystery. But as we have walked and still do walk this road that we never chose, we've proved time and again that Paul was right when he said that in Christ, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We genuinely don't. Although, guys, it was a jolly close-run thing at times. 